Hey everybody, welcome back. Today we have our friend Will, who's a trichologist with us. He's gonna help us, uh, maybe a couple of bald guys, regrow some hair on top, huh? I want a head of hair like that. Uh, it would be nice. Yeah, that, that's what I'll we're take the gray. Doing. I don't give a shit. Head. <laughs> hey, the gray looks nice. As men, we age. We age well, so it's it's okay. You it's know? about doing it gracefully. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks hey. for coming, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. you coming out. Want to uh, kind of explain what led you down this road to uh, be a trichologist? And... Let's start with what is a trichologist? Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, so a trichologist is a scientist of the hair and scalp. Okay. And in the U.S., it's a certificate. Oftentimes, it's some random certificate that really doesn't mean a whole lot. But when you are in Europe or Australia or even South America, you can get a full degree, you can become a doctor of trichology. And uh, it's more of an advanced science in other countries. But again, scientists of the hair and scalp. Yes. Um, when you say that in other countries, does, does America lead the world in, in hair loss? That is a great question. Um, I would say that it's entirely possible because what we do to ourselves as Americans, stress, the pressure, uh, prescription drugs, the healthcare anomalies, those all add up to more hair loss and inflammation, the lack of appropriate nutrition, fad diets, these all just expedite genetics. They expedite a, uh, other conditions like telogen effluvium or alopecia areata. So I don't know if that's true. Yeah. But I'd say that it could be. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, hair loss affects everybody though. Yeah. And like we were talking off camera, the hair loss doesn't necessarily start with the head. Could be your nutrition, could be several other factors that most people don't realize. Most of hair loss is actually the exacerbating factors. It's my opinion that if we lived like we're sort of intending to, I mean, I mean, genetically and how we evolved over, you know, whatever, 100,000 years, whatever you ultimately you believe in, but we're wired to be in nature. We're wired to be living a truly organic diet. We're wired to be in a community. And when we are wandering around consuming chemicals, being exposed to a million different things all the time, it is just going to aggravate the system and expedite loss. So if you lived like we should, there would only be a little tiny bit of genetic hair loss, in my opinion. Sounds easier said than done. It's impossible. <laughs> it is impossible. So it's I, so many people say like, you know, what do I need to eat? And it's like, well, you it's not just what you need to eat now it's for all the damage that's been done since you know when you were born you weren't breastfed so now all of a sudden you don't have the proper microbiome in your gut to uh, basically keep inflammation down or the antibiotics you were put on as a kid and those then expedite inflammation so there's endless amounts of reasons for hair loss um i'm sure that uh you know the guys that do the the transplants and these aren't very fond of your methods are they just the physicians mainly do hair transplantation yeah and that's their business yeah. so for them to grow hair back would kind of be shooting themselves in the foot not to say that all physicians are not pro you know restoration of your own hair naturally there's a lot of people trying i just don't know if they have the time 
-hmm. Because if you spend five minutes as a dermatologist with 35 patients in a day, how are you going to find out what they're eating? Yeah. Right? How are you going to find out, you know, all of the medications or the patient history that makes a big difference on what's happening to them today? And I mean, even our medical director, I mean, she has uh, her own practice as a dermatologist and she she sees 30 to 35 patients a day. So maximum time limit is usually 10 minutes. That's max. It's usually five. You're not getting out that much information in 10 minutes. You can't. I mean, I spent, I had uh, three consults yesterday. All of them went over. So, and my consults were normally an hour. It, each one was an hour and a half yesterday. And that's just because that's what we needed to go through. And they have a million questions. And that's if somebody's being completely open and honest with what, you know, or if they even know what they are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. I feel like some of us are kind of zoned out and can't even be conscious of, oh yeah, well, I did eat such and such yesterday or two weeks ago or this, or be conscious of like what they're really putting their body through, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because under the microscope, and this is other things physicians typically don't do, they're not looking at people's scalp under the microscope, and you can see a physical change in how a hair is growing when somebody goes outside, let's just say they're vitamin D3 deficient, for example, they go outside for the weekend, they're hitting the beach, they're going down to San Diego, and then on Monday morning, their hair, microscopically, the last millimeter of hair that grew is actually thicker and darker because it's responding to the vitamin D that they got from the sun. So some people would think that maybe uh, we've, we've learned to fear the sun in a lot of regards growing up. Yeah. People treat it like it's a... Uh... It's something, you know, bad for us, skin cancer, these things. But I've uh, seen recently that people are coming back around to the fact that the sun is our friend, which would make total sense, no? I mean, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. then going back to the sun thing, let's say you spend a couple hours a day in the sun, but if you're wearing a baseball cap, how's your head going to get any of that? Or if you're wearing sunscreen, you're blocking the absorption of the UVB rays, which are going to convert to vitamin D3 in your skin and you're in the sun, but you're not absorbing it. Yeah. What about wearing sunglasses in the sun? Does that close? Like I'm reading mixed on that one. So I, I can't speak to the science on that. I've been told by some people who are vested in, you know, how you absorb vitamin D3 through your eyes, that it is absolutely an issue and you shouldn't wear sunglasses. And then other people that are like, it doesn't matter. So um, I don't know, that's not my but area. But sunblock hat. You're saying that'll block. Absolutely. I did see some studies recently where uh, people were saying that they see an instance in facial skin cancer, more cases based off of people that wear sunglasses while they drive and things of that nature. Huh? Well, and low vitamin D3 increases the probability of cancer. So in general, in general not just skin cancer. Yeah. I mean, you look at COVID, basically a couple of things they were recommending. So vitamin D3 and zinc those are things that are going to help boost your immune system. So if your vitamin D3 is, say, 8 nanograms per milliliter, and you really want it in the middle of the range, which would be between 60 and 80 nanograms per milliliter, which is great for your hair, but even more importantly, it allows your immune system to function properly. So it's going to attack whatever's attacking you. So whether it be you know bugs in your system uh, or cancer. So these pills like skin, hair, and nails, and these type of things, what what what's in those? Um, what is it, biotin or is it? A lot of times it's shenanigans. It's it's yeah. It's so the it, girls take them a lot. I see that like you know. Well, and most of the time people will show up in my office and they're like, you know what? I started on ten thousand micrograms of biotin per day. 
I can't believe it. I'm still losing hair. And I'm like, yeah, because biotin isn't going to grow your hair if you don't have a biotin deficiency. And only 2% of the world's population actually has a biotin deficiency, and most of them aren't in the United States. So there's no point in taking biotin, essentially. I mean, if you happen to be one of those random people, um, vegetarians, vegans, that will probably need it more because you get a ton of B vitamins from eating meats, particularly red meat. And if you are deficient in any of the Bs, a little bit of biotin is going to be helpful. But again, most people have plenty of it and it's not an issue. So to the protein side, you yeah. are a fan of red meat versus going after certain proteins based on um, blood type. Absolutely. So I had a presentation. This presentation was to, you know, a room full of physicians. And whenever I bring up blood type, I can feel everyone's eyes rolling in the back of their head because they're like, oh, there's no credibility to that. However, they're seeing that now there's a links to different diseases based on your blood type. So to me, I'm like, if there's links to different diseases based on your blood type, wouldn't that make sense that perhaps different blood types require different nutrient levels or perhaps because of their genetic makeup, then per they have little idiosyncrasies in their immune state that may be something to look at. So that's where, yes, I'm a huge fan of Eat Right for the blood type, mainly because I had a test group in 2009. So I had three clinics in Phoenix, Arizona at the time, all of the freak shows that didn't grow hair in my primary program, which we did everything. So finasteride, uh, compounded topical monoxidil, scalp massages, laser, all the supplements, shampoos, et cetera. And if they didn't grow hair, like how could they not grow hair? So they ended up in my office and my office is basically designed to figure out what's wrong with each individual. And at the time I was tracking different blood types. I'm not sure why we started to look at ferritin levels, vitamin D3 levels, et cetera, some gut health. And I found with the test group because I recommended being vegetarian at the time because I didn't know any better because that was healthy for your liver and your kidneys. Then most of that test group were O blood types. O blood types are natural carnivores. So they were following my diet recommendations because they had spent four or $5,000 to be in my program. And they were going, Hey, you know, I cut all this red meat out and I'm losing hair on your program. What's going on? So anyway, for whatever reason, I ended up with that book, you know, in my presence and I'm looking through and they're going, oh, these O blood types, they're supposed to eat meat. What's that about? And then I'm looking at these A blood types, which 39% of the human population are A's, 41 is uh, O's. And I'm looking at the bulk of this human population and they're totally polar opposite. So one's supposed to be a vegetarian, the other one's supposed to be a carnivore. And I'm looking at who's responding and who's not responding. So the A's were responding, the O's in this case were not. So I switched up their diets. Is that, so once again, just to re reiterate that, so an A blood type is, is, does better on a vegetarian diet? Yes. And an O blood type does better on a carnivore, on a, a carnivorous diet? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I didn't know that. And again, I mean, this book has been around, you know, uh, Dr. Diadamo, I always say it differently. Dr. Diadamo, he did all of these uh, sort of research projects on how different foods interact with your blood. And, you know, I didn't give it any credence for the first eight years of my career. But I find that there are very specific things that people shouldn't be eating. Whey protein, for example, for A blood types, uh, 
B blood types uh, shouldn't be eating chicken. So I have a lot of these uh, people who are from India or they're from Southeast Asia. They're coming in from the tech industry, especially in Phoenix. And they don't eat red meat. They don't Indians. typically. Yeah, they don't eat red meat. So they eat chicken. Yeah. Well, I mean, there have been at least five times that the only thing that I changed if we treated them for an extended period of time, we used minoxidil finasteride. They're young men. They should be responding really, really easily. And they're not. And the only thing I changed was eliminating chicken from their diet, which sounds ludicrous. If I was watching this, I'd be like, well, you're, you're insane. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I witnessed it. And they ended up removing chicken from their diet, switching to turkey, something so basic. All of a sudden, they started responding. For B blood types. B blood types. That's They're right. B, B positive, B negative? That's correct. Okay. How many blood types are there? Just so four. Okay. There's and o, eight. A, B. Yep. And so B is about 18. A, B is about 2% of the human population. That's the most rare? That is the most rare. And uh, to be very honest, I don't have specific idiosyncrasies about the AB because I just so have such limited exposure. And when somebody says they're an AB, I'm like, ugh. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> it, yeah. Do we know why or how the blood types work or what, what, uh, why somebody is a certain type of blood type or not? Is it hereditary or is it? Yeah. So it's, it's an evolutionary process. So if you subscribe to the process that we all started in Africa and then we basically spread out, yeah. the universal donor is an O blood type. Oh, well, yeah. So why is that? So that's the original blood type. So everybody can get O blood. But an AB can only get, can only give to another AB. And it's just because essentially these O blood types spread out through, you know, the continents and ended up then literally through an evolutionary process spinning off and adapting to their environment and creating the new blood type. I mean, not to say that we're going to all of a sudden have a fifth blood type, but most A's are typically from southern europe so you're going to see italians you're going to see greeks croatians like these people typically are a blood types you go back well what is a typical greek or italian diet well it's made up of a lot of pasta it's made up of a lot of vegetables olives you think of like a greek salad and you think of what is a typical diet for say a northern european which are predominantly o's and northern europeans are going to be eating a ton of meat you know, maybe some potatoes and some vegetables. They also do really well on fermented foods. So you, you know, go to Finland or uh, Norway and all of a sudden, you know, they bury fish in the ground, you know, through the winter or whatever it is and they're fermenting it. Well, that's great for their gut, sauerkraut, you know, in Germany. So you look back at all these traditional foods and you go, well, these people sustained existence for an untold amount of time, basically eating these foods, but some ate completely different than the others. And for an example, I'm an O, my wife's an A. When I met her, she's eating all this pasta. She's like, oh, you know, I might want to, you know, lose a pound or two. I'm like, oh, you must eat protein. This is what you should do. And she's like, oh, okay, I'm going to try it. And she did it and she actually gained weight. And it's like, when then she went back to eating pasta and vegetables. She lost weight. Well, how does that work? But it that's the difference is that everybody's an individual and they respond to different things differently. I can't remember my blood type right now, but I got to go back and uh, and figure it out. My well, if you're helmet A positive, okay. and if you're you said you're Italian or you have at least some Italian. Yeah, I'm Italian. Okay. Uh, I have like I'm I'm a uh, Italian Irish. I have a good mix of European yeah, okay. stuff in me. So probably an A or B. Double check. 
Uh, or an, or, sorry, an A or an O. An A or an O, probably. Yeah. yeah. I want to say... I want to say I, I might be a B for some reason. Oh. It's ringing a bell. Maybe B Maybe. or something. Okay. Is that more of a rare blood type? I mean, again, I think it's about 18% of the human population. So rare in the sense of one yeah. one. Yeah, but... Uh, and what if you that? are, yeah. then you can eat cheese like it's going out of style. Really? And if you like cheese, I'm, I love cheese. I love cheese too. Yeah. No, I shouldn't so eat cheese it. doesn't affect a bee blood type. It's actually, I shouldn't be chicken. Correct. So you can. I'll a K Rico for you. But I love, <laughs> uh, you know what? And I'm not really into chicken that much either. It's the, not the thing. So I was uh, a little background. I did vegan for like eight months, okay. about eight years ago. And then uh, I felt amazing. I look sick. Um, I probably wasn't, you know, getting everything I needed, though. I definitely was, you know, eating more of a fast food style vegan diet than not. You know what I mean? Okay. But uh, then I was pescatarian for about seven years, six years, seven, six, seven years. Okay. Um, and I was still really thin, but it suited me well. Okay. I think I started eating uh, meat again about three and a half years ago. Okay. And, uh, I mean, right away I was like addicted to red meat. Sure. As soon as I went back to it, like more than anything else, all I wanted to eat was like steaks and burgers and things like that, you know? Sure. Um, and still to this day, it definitely is the predominant, like I'd rather go have a ribeye and just a salad than anything. Probably it's like my favorite, uh, food, but, uh, I definitely gained weight once I got back on the meat too, but yeah. it was over COVID and I, obviously there were some other factors to that as well. Sure. Um, but it's interesting. I'm going to go back and do my own homework now to kind of see, uh, uh, maybe what's going on, right? Well, you might be a B. Maybe I'll, I'll ask my mom. She would know. <laughs> and, I mean, well, and it's funny because if you try to get your blood type covered by insurance, unless you're going in for a major surgery where you could have the risk of bleeding out, they won't test it. They won't test it. So well, they'll test it, but you have to pay for it. Bet, huh? Right. And then it normally it's a $40 test at Quest as an outpatient, yeah. but you're going to get charged, you know, $400, you know, towards your deductible. It's just the, the system is silly. And unfortunately, like most of the time, I mean, I, we always test for ferritin, zinc, and vitamin D3. Like that is, you have to test for those because some people may be eating all the right things, but they're not absorbing it correctly especially if you've been on antibiotics recently. And, you know, I mean, for myself, I ended up getting bit by a cat because my father passed away. He had a cat. I had to get the cat and bring it back, you know, to where the, the shelter was originally. And the cat was not happy and got a hold of my hand and just went oh, straight down to bone. Oh. And I had to go, I mean, I started to get cellulitis within 24 hours. Oh, so man. they put me on potent antibiotics oh, for yeah, 14 days. Things. Is pretty bad, huh? I had no idea. Yeah, it's they have like a, a certain type of uh, of uh, bacteria in their mouth that's like it's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I found that out. Fuck man. <laughs> but so my gut ended up, you know, I was even though I'm doing all of the right things, I'm taking all the right stuff, I'm basically, you know, I'm subscribing to everything that I talk about. I the last time I've tested my vitamin D, it was a 22. Well, I'm on 10,000 units of vitamin D per day. And yeah, I'm just not absorbing it. So you got to mix it up. And so you got to do what you got to do based on your situation. Yeah, I think I'm at like 75, 80. Nice. Well done. But I take 50,000 Monday and Thursday. Okay. 
Just don't get too high. That's where I hold. Wow, so 50,000, well basically, so you're 100,000 per week, Correct. and that keeps you at around 75. Yeah. Well, that's perfect, that's where you wanna be. I noticed when I went lower, it went way lower. So I was like, oh, I'm sure. All right, two pills a week, we're good. Right on. I have no idea what's going on, because I'm not as a... Uh, Do you remember um, the last time you even went to a doctor? Active and taking uh tests and things of that nature sure yeah, probably something around the baby or whatever taking the blood tests for like that type of shit. you know what i mean yeah. um but uh what's like for somebody that has no idea what's going on with themselves what's their first step to like so first step would be the self-assessment mm -hmm. so uh, the really basic stuff would be you know where are you losing hair on your head mm -hmm. you know are you universally losing it throughout your entire scalp so maybe you are it appears as though like your part is widening but you don't have any expression in the temples you don't have any expression in the crown particularly you're a male but you go man i'm thinning out through the middle so at that point that could be that's probably not genetic because if you have any type of issues with nutrition and inflammation it's going to amplify your genetics and make it worse so you you would be expressing some type of dht issue so you kind of look at where you're losing hair you're losing in the back sides top top is dht sides is nutrition or inflammation nape in the neck is almost exclusively inflammation so you can look at that age so if you're a 17 year old female you're not on any medication and you're losing hair there's no way that it's dht like there's no way it's genetics and if you were like look thanks will for giving me those scenarios that doesn't apply to me go get a blood test for vitamin d3 zinc and ferritin you want to split the range so whatever the range is so and you could be in canada and they'll be looking at your vitamin d in nanomoles you know versus liters here it's nanograms per milliliter you want to split the range if it's at the low end of whatever the normal range is and someone told you it's normal, it's probably not normal for your hair. So look at that. Uh, if you are losing more hair at the top of the scalp than you are everywhere else, that is purely genetics. And you can just rubber stamp that. It is definitely an issue. If you have itching, burning on the scalp, any redness, if you have gut issues, uh, so constipation, diarrhea, acid reflux, there's probably an inflammatory leg. So that's just dealing with the undertone of why you're losing hair. And that's where you should start. You have to stop the reason for the loss. Then you can go into growth stimulants, minoxidil, low-level laser therapy, uh, PRP, which basically encompasses stem cells, exosomes. That shit hurts so bad. Oh, so you've had PRP as well? Yeah. This guy's done everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, everything but talk to you, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably where I, I found him after I did everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is that? Two trips uh, to Turkey? Two trips to Turkey. Oh, you went to Turkey. So I did one here. Okay. Fuck, did it suck here. Okay. Like it was painful. It And the guy was like highly recommended. I'm like, I don't know, Turkey, it was like all nice and pretty. Didn't look like there was any blood. After I left the fucking office here, it looked like I left a crime scene. Yeah. Uh. And like you could even see like they weren't fully pushed in, so there's like little balls sitting on top of my scalp. I'm like, that well, that's normal though. Like, you... but when I did in Turkey, everything was like flush. Inflammation okay. was limited. He didn't. I didn't have to tape my head. Hmm. Just, okay. I had bandages, obviously, from donor, but okay. 
that was it. And so your turkey experience was good. Oh, I. The numbing part sucks. There's no way of getting around that. But once okay. they numb me, I slept through the whole. I mean, they just do a block. Yeah, they did the whole block on okay. the back. Well, that's good. Um, you know, they're like, "Oh, squeeze the squeezy bone." What the heck's that going to do? Is you're poking me with a twenty gauge needle in the back of my totally. head. Um, but once it was numb, I passed out. Okay. They had to wake me up four hours later. They're like, "Hey, time to eat lunch." It's already lunch time. Okay. Ate lunch, went to the bathroom, and then they're like, "All right, lay back down. We got a couple more hours." And went back to sleep oh wow that's great yeah so how many graphs did you get between both trips six thousand okay and then what about your first experience here you're three thousand so okay. nine thousand nine thousand graphs and you're you're maxed out i'm assuming yeah that's it they said no more right does know. it start to take away from where they're pulling yeah. yeah it does right oh yeah absolutely so and then did you i mean i i thought i noticed a little bit of a scar did you do strip at least for one of them or is all fue all fue okay so, yeah, so you, you have 100,000 hairs on your scalp, and that's what you start out with. Some have 150, some have 80. Red, hair, red heads have less than everybody else. But realistically, if you then, you know, sort of section off your scalp, and it's the top of the scalp that you're concerned about, that's 33,000 hairs. So if you can move 9,000, well, that's great. It's way better than they used to be able to do. Oh, yeah, before it used to be like 1,200. Yeah, tw I mean, and you do it in, you know, 1,200. 2000 you're going to get maybe two sessions maybe three tops so like 6000 used to be kind of the max and a fat scar right huge scar and if you're going to end up then having a scarring issue so you're keloiding then that's all you know basically taking over the other hair follicles but realistically you are trying to cover with a third of what you once had and it's just really not possible so the best option is to stop your hair loss in its tracks with finasteride, blocking the underlying reason for the loss, natural topicals, minoxidil, whatever. And then using that 10,000 graft capacity and really focusing on the front or focusing on the back, focusing on wherever you need it and maxing out that area. We mainly focused on the front. Okay. Well, I mean, it frames your face nicely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, because it used to be, it pulled a good way back. Yeah. So. But it, that's where most people care about it is the front. Yeah, and then, you know, if you're able to use your secret sauce to get back 15, 20%, not yeah. a bad day. I mean, you can always go back in time with the exception of uh, scarring alopecias. You can go back in time usually five years within 18 months of treatment. Well, it's not bad. I mean, yeah. So also 18 to 24 months. Starting early is obviously a, a key in this. If you can go back in time. Absolutely. Five years. I mean, you want to start as early as possible then. I just had a gentleman who booked a uh, phone consult with me. He's, he's in the industry out here. He, I think he's 19 or 20. And um, he's like, man, you know, I'm an actor. I can't, can't lose my hair. Like I'm, I'm in a lot of roles. I think I'm shedding. I'm not sure. Well, sure enough, he, he was going after prevention, but I saw that he was losing his hair already. So you couldn't, there's no way you'd notice. You go, this guy's got monumental, beautiful hair. He was just starting to lose his hair. So he can stop it now. And I prescribed a protocol, mainly nutritional items. And then he won't have to deal with hair loss probably for another five to seven years. And in five to seven years, probably his genetics will kick in. The DHT will become more aggressive. The older you get, the more DHT becomes a problem. And then he can start on finasteride or, you know, our DHT blocker or whatever. You know, whatever he's going to do to control that issue. Is there a uh, plan of no return? 
Yes. So, I mean, realistically, if you have had a dormant hair follicle, especially under the microscope, for more than, you know, two years, that hair follicle is dead. So it's just not coming back. And if you are lucky enough to somehow have something else that was a contributing factor, like, again, nutrition or inflammation, you that might not apply. But normally, again, if that hair follicle is not growing anything, your body's going to get rid of it. Why is it? supplying nutrients to an organ you're not using. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I'm probably fucked. Well, I see. I mean, there's some stuff up there. Yeah. So there's some stuff there. Yeah. I mean, you can feel But if stuff. there's still some stuff there, does that mean there's a possibility of being able to get some more back? Yeah. I mean, if there's viable pigmented hairs under the microscope, then you'll typically be able to elongate this. So if you can double or triple the existing hair, then that's usually pretty great. I mean, that would be impossible 40 years ago. Yeah. But if you double or triple, say, a hair that's been miniaturized down to 10% of what it once was, then you might be able to get it to 30% of what it once was. If it was, you know, 5% of what it once was, it's probably not worth it. Gotcha. My hair was thick when I was young. I had really nice, thick, curly hair. We, well, we know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when was the last time you had a full head of hair? Like where you didn't shave it? Probably like when I was like 25 or something, 26. Yeah. So it's been a minute. Yeah. And my hair wasn't bad then. If I showed you a headshot from then, you would be like, this guy has nice hair. Yeah. But it was already thinning. And then I just started to shave it. And then that was just kind of that, you know? Well, luckily you have a well shaped head. Yeah, it fits me. It's fine. I'm, I'm like, I've, I've, uh, he talks to me about it a lot, and I've obviously, I'm like, ah, fucking, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm over it. It's, it's just part of the, the path. So yeah, you know, luckily I look okay bald, and I just run with it, and it is what it is. But, I mean, you know, obviously I have a son, and, and going forward, just to be able to help somebody else, that you know, if you ask me if I would rather be bald or have hair, what do you think the answer would be? Right, of course. Rather have hair. I would rather have my hair look yeah. back, right? I mean, if I could turn around tomorrow, I think for for men or women in general, I mean, that's a big, a big, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess like a big uh, loss of um, confidence, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think you see that men focus on that the most. It's it's obviously like a big, a big uh, drop in confidence or the way that they're presenting themselves to the world. Do you remember Andre Agassi's hair? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, he was when known it was long. when it was long. And then no. I remember when he was still losing it, but it was still long. Right. Well, so he wore a hair system for a long period of time. And he came out with his book, I don't know, what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and was like, look, I was wearing a wig for much of my career because... He didn't want people to know. That he was didn't, his look. Exactly. That was his look. That's what he identified with. So he, there was one portion of the book we actually talked about that in an advertisement. And I said, because I used to do my own uh, radio commercials. And I, w I said, Andre Agassi's book said that he basically rather lose an appendage than his hair, because he so identified with the look of himself with hair, that it was almost easier to lose a body part. Wow. And I mean, that's, it's just it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, honestly, that we put that much pressure on ourselves um, 
myself included. I mean, because otherwise I would be a bald architect and I would be totally cool with that. I mean, if it like, you know, <laughs> but yeah, you're getting <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but it's, you know, for literally for me, I, it changed my profession. Like I, it, my path completely changed because of my own situation. And I'm like, I'm not going to be 25 and bald. Like that was just not my mission. And so, you know, that was, I, I luckily had the, the path to change, but if you don't, then it is what it is. Yeah. It's always funny to see the guys with nothing on top and just some on the side. I'm like, just fucking commit at this point. Yeah. I mean, but again, I like there was sometimes that, uh, I seen a couple of Italian designers just recently who like, they wear it really well. Absolutely. Some do but like others. amazingly well where you're like, damn, that is like actually looks dope on this dude. And he's, I mean, Giorgio Armani is like one of the guys that like that dude's been missing hair for 50 years, probably. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just wore the sides and everything else like, and looks incredible. He's like the, you know, he looks like a six, you know, the picture of success. Sure. Uh, so it is possible to rock that and be very masculine and, uh, uh, you know, attractive in certain senses as well of course well and if you've got good facial hair which oftentimes men who are losing their hair because the same receptors that are in your facial hair and in your arms those are dht receptors so ironically this has the opposite experience to those same hormones that this and your body hair does yeah so you'll end up being more hairy because a lot of times people associate more hairy men with possibly being more likely to go bald which is actually true in the sense right. that you you might have a higher level of testosterone, you might then hi have a higher level of DHT, which means you're going to express more body hair, also lose potentially more hair on the top of your head. So anyway, moral of that story is if you've got good facial hair, then rock that facial hair, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you're concerned about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it does, uh, it'll grow, you know? And you see that a lot, actually, especially nowadays, that the bald with the with the big beard is a very uh, in fashion trend for men. Oh, yeah. yeah, I had a consult yesterday. This guy, he flew in from Florida to see me. He ended up having this just, I mean, he was, he was a very masculine looking dude. And, you know, very well-shaped beard hair, you know, just typically more of a testosterone dominant individual. And he started losing his hair when he was early 20s he had his first hair transplant when he was 23 or 24 wow. wore a hair system from 25 to like 37 and wow. then took the hair system off i don't know if he went to turkey but he had he had some massive uh hair transplant so then he had approximately 9,000 grafts but no one has tested his nutrient levels ever and i'm looking at his head i'm going man you got a lot of these small vellus hairs I, there's got to be something going on here and so i'm like i was excited during <laughs> and i don't mean to be that way in in a consult because you know i'm sensitive to the situation but i'm like man i want to get your blood work back because if your d is through the floor you're going to respond so well it's going to be an amazing outcome and so i i hope i didn't you know i hope if he's watching this he'll be like you're talking about me on the uh but he, i hope that he does have low nutritional levels because if we can get those nutritional levels up it's going to be fuel for hair regrowth and it will be a monumental change it's not going to bring back the male pattern that's been gone for 20 years but all that donor hair that has been miniaturized he might be able to get another transplant fill in that spot in the back 
and uh, really be happy with his outcome. Awesome. I'm sure you gave him a lot of hope because considering how much he's been through, it bothers him. Oh, I mean, he flew in, you know, from across the country, across the country to see me. I mean, he's 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 active. He's proactive. You can't say he's not. I mean, you want it here, obviously. Absolutely. He, you got a transplant at 20 in his early 20s and then wear a system. It's like that's a commitment. If you're wearing a system, you're committed. Because yeah, the system's the one where they glue it on. Yeah. Like they shave your head and then throw some glue and yep. There used to be companies. But uh, what's the damage on something like that? Yes. Yeah. And the upkeep is typically the normal experience of a hair system is you go in and this was i think it's changed a little bit but the, traditionally especially in phoenix which is where i had most exposure to hair systems people would go in and they'd say go to uh i'll call it hair club because i knew specifically in phoenix this was where this was happening they'd go in and be like i want to look like this guy and they're like, oh, okay well let's, let's sit you in the chair and you know they'd buzz the middle portion of their head and then they try on a hair system and they'd be like how do you how do you like it and they're like well i thought you know something different was going to happen but then they're kind of committed at this point because you just shave the middle of your head and you've got this hair system on but they go oh wow this looks really good and then if you have this hair system it's either live human hair and which the more you wash it because you're going to be washing it in the shower, shampooing it, there's no essential oils being derived from your own body to protect that hair. So that hair is going to break down. Dry and rough and changes, huh? Yeah. So like a sponge over time, it gets kind of dried out and brittle and whatnot. Yeah. Same thing is going to happen with that hair. So what they do is they'll give you four different systems. Each system is around 1,500, maybe 2,000. And so you have four different systems that you're going to be rotating every usually four to six weeks. And they'll put a new system on and then they'll sort of let the other system rest and then you get about I, back then it was about two to three uses per hair system and then you got to re-up and buy more systems but you're going back for maintenance every you know four weeks and getting it re-glued because obviously between the oil emitted from your scalp the adhesive is going to come off at some point what does their scalp look like under their side it's so there's something called traction alopecia, which is where the more you pull on hair, the more it sort of damages the hair follicle if it keeps getting ripped out. So I saw a lot of traction alopecia. So if somebody had a lot of hair and they put on a hair system, every time that thing came off, you were just ripping more hair out. Wow. So you're actually doing more damage to that hair. But, you know, it is what it is. And Essentially, you're waxing your head every four weeks. I mean, it's not that aggressive, but yeah, you could certainly compare it to that. It seems like a lot of work. And a lot of money. Look, I absolutely, I, yeah. Hair transplant. I'm not. I'm not only. A, I'm not only a client. I'm not only the. I'm hair the president. president. Yep. I'm a client. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I remember those growing up. Look, now, I look good with or without hair, so I'm good. There you go. Well, and for the record, I don't. That was back then. I don't know what hair club does. Now, I'm sure so. it's. Um, it's. Uh, I'm not gluing. Shit goes that bad, dude. I'm shaving my head. Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. I like the Michael, the Michael Jordan phase. You know where he just kind of. One day he had hair, and the next year he just came back bald and started winning championships, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's like, for some people, who cares, yeah. you know? And, I mean, I had a guy, we regrew all of his hair, like, 06, 07. He got married. And he's back in my office eight years later, bald again. Yeah. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, well, I got married. <laughs> I let it go. 
I'm bald again. Can you grow it back? And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm like, I don't think I can grow it back again. Like, that's not how this works. And I thought you just put some miracle grow. Called yeah, that. we'll just, you know, I'll do a little hocus pocus on it. Ironically, we had just started doing PRP. And for whatever reason, he was so responsive. He ended up growing back most of it. What is PRP? Uh, PRP is platelet rich plasma. And so you'll draw blood, stick it in a centrifuge. You're going to separate out the platelets from the basically the remainder of your your blood and you're concentrating the platelets within you know essentially this one small area of the vial you typically want to have five times platelets that would normally be in your blood so you get all these stem cells in these platelets and when you inject them properly proper injections into the area then you'll end up basically getting into the subcutaneous fat layer and you're going to end up having all of these stem cells sort of proliferate through the subcutaneous fat, re-stimulating that fat because there's this fat layer on your scalp. It's about nine millimeters thick. You want that to be as thick as possible because, you know, inside this, this sort of body of skin, you've got the epidermis, the dermal layer, which is where your... Uh, hair follicles live but some of the blood flow is coming from that subcutaneous fat and the thicker that fat layer typically the more hair you have so when that fat layer shrinks down to two millimeters which is typically what it is if you've been through male pattern loss you need to get more nutrients and more fat to that area in this case the platelets are going to stimulate recovery of the scalp stimulate recovery of the hair follicle and you'll get thicker fuller hair most of the time if it's, not, if it's not done properly, <laughs> or if you can't respond for a million different reasons, it's not going to do a whole lot. Handful of cases I've seen people lose hair because of the trauma. But I feel like I did after the first time I did it. Okay.